This is your Friday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. We got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about today. Chris Hine will join me, Timberwolves beat writer, talk about the sale of the Timberwolves. That feels like forever ago. It was only about five days ago, you guys, that that uh, that sale to Alex Rodriguez and Mark Laurie became uh, a thing. And Chris and I will talk through the big question you probably have right now: Does that sale mean the Timberwolves are going to move? But first, what did I miss? Well, twins. We got to talk, talk talk about the Twins at the outset because I felt like yesterday's game was pretty important. Um, you know, they lost five in a row all at home, and you know, this early in the season, that's that's not probably a make or break stretch. You know, you can you still have time, plenty of time in 162 games to make up for five, but it still felt important to get a win here. You know, the last game of the homestand, going on the road out west, playing uh, playing the Angels Friday night. You know, playing Boston again. They they're kind of cruising, right? It's a you know they've got a lead early. It's the fifth inning. Michael Pineda's coasting. Two outs in the fifth. The sirens go off. The the tornado. The weather sirens go off. And first, at first, I maybe thought that the sirens were because Pineda was actually approaching five full innings of work completed. That that Rocco Baldelli had left him in. That was going to leave him in for five full innings of, of work. I perish the thought that a starting pitcher would do that much work, uh, but instead it was just a weather warning. But they, they got through that. He pitched the rest of that inning and two more. Seven shutout innings for Michael Pineda. Exits after 88 pitches. Probably could have pitched more, uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll be happy with a seven-inning seven outing uh, from, from Michael Pineda. Leaves with a 3 nothing lead. Bullpen immediately gives it right back. Hansel Robles walks a couple guys. Taylor Rogers gives up a big hit. Next thing you know, it's 3-3, three to three and you're going, oh my gosh, are they going to lose six games in a row on this homestand, including, you know, coughing up another late lead with a, with a bad bullpen performance? Um, but they, they get it done. Um, Alexander Colome comes in, pitches the ninth inning, gets a shutout inning. Big, you know, big boost for him. And then the Twins put a couple guys on in the ninth. Max Kepler bloops one to center. And next thing you know, they're happy again, at least uh, at least in the short term. So, you know, again, like I said, don't make too much about one game. But, you know, if I was on Thursday's podcast, you know, wondering, do they have what it takes to win these close games? Are they, you know, is their greatest strength, their, their kind of their balance, also a liability sometimes in these close games? Well, you know the the counter proved true in in this game. They got great starting pitching. You know they got a you know a poor bullpen performance, but they were able to overcome it with a better ninth inning performance. Uh, and they got the big hit uh, for, from Max Kepler. It wasn't a, wasn't a long hit, wasn't a hard hit, but it got the job done. It was a clutch hit that that won a game that they absolutely needed to have. So, you know, again, n- not a not a season defining moment probably, but an important win. As much as one out of one sixty two can feel important, that one felt important to me. The Lynx selected Tennessee forward Renaya Davis with the number nine pick in Thursday night's WNBA draft. Now again, Cheryl Reeve, head coach and general manager, trying to you know manage expectations. Say you know if if, if all goes well, Renaya Davis will not play a ton this year. She could be a, a reserve, someone who plays some important minutes and learns and grows. But let's not you know let, let's cool down on the talk of hey, could it be the third straight rookie of the year that they've drafted? And, you know that, and that's fair. But, you know, that said, you can still be excited about this player. You know, someone, a double, someone who is a double-double machine at Tennessee, ranks among the all-time greats there in several different categories, a versatile 6-2 forward who can play multiple positions, can guard multiple positions, and can learn uh, behind some really good players in Minnesota this year. So it seems like they, 
you know, they, there might have been a position of greater need for the Lynx, and it seemed like maybe they were going to draft more for need, knowing that this could, you know, that they could have a pretty good team this year, that this could be a roster that's loaded up and trying to win, you know, trying to win big this year after making it to the, the last four teams in the, in the league last season in the bubble. Um, you know, that said, though, I think the best draft strategy overall for any team is to pick the best player available, unless you're the Vikings and you got to pick an offensive lineman. Um, you you got to go, you know, you got to go with who you think is going to be the best player, you know, for your for your team long term. And it sure sounds like Renia Davis, you know, was projected to go in the top five, fell to nine for whatever reason, and here she is with the Lynx. So, you know, a good draft. They only had one pick. Um, you know, sometimes that's fine because in this league, it's not often that, you know, the lower round picks make an impact at least right away. Um, but we'll see what, what kind of rookie season Renia Davis is able to have with the Lynx. Gophers women's volleyball team advances to the Sweet 16 with a straight sets win over Georgia Tech on Thursday night. It just sure seemed like in watching that match that the Gophers were kind of in control from the beginning. They play Pittsburgh now in the Sweet 16 on Sunday. Sweet 16 is becoming a habit uh, under head coach Hugh McCutcheon. Um, plenty of success even before he got here, but he's really taken that program and added on to a legacy of greatness that already existed there. So good, uh, good momentum for them heading into Sunday's Sweet 16 against Pittsburgh. And this might not be the, the absolute best team that McCutcheon has had at Minnesota, but once you get into the tournament, you don't really know. They, they could have what it takes to get to the Final Four. We'll see starting Sunday against Pittsburgh. I'm Nyla Jean Myers, Senior Assistant Sports Editor at the Star Tribune. Thank you for listening to Strip Sports Daily Delivery. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast and our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. Welcome back to Daily Delivery, Chris Hine. You five-timer club still working on your jacket. Trust me, it is coming. Been a little bit busy lately. I'm sure you have too. Welcome back, yes. though, to the show, Chris. Uh, how you yes. doing? Uh, I'm, I, I need a break, Mike, if I'm being completely honest with you. I, I could use a nice, long vacation somewhere with a beach and a, and a, and a bar in the pool and tropical drinks. And I, that's, that's where I'm at right now with, uh, with, with this season. I like where your head's at. I also know that we're about a month away from the end of the season. And Chris, uh, spoiler alert, I don't think this team is going to make the playoffs. So I, yeah. think, I think you're clear pretty much uh, after uh, after in the middle of May to uh, to maybe get away for a little while. I think so. I, I, I'll be honest, I might be making plans for shortly thereafter because uh, I'll be fully vaccinated and I'll have friends that are fully vaccinated and we're going to see what we can we can do but in the meantime we have timberwolves news to discuss so much um i want to mostly focus on because i haven't talked to you for this podcast since uh, the news of alex rodriguez and you know really more the money guy mark laurie buying the timberwolves um or agreeing to at least looks like this is going to happen seems you know we've had some fits and starts with some of these reports you know with with previous interest but this one feels like it's going to happen um billion and a half dollars uh seems like a lot of money for a basketball team let alone the timberwolves but um you know first and foremost let's let's hear some of your reporting on this kind of how that how that came together and then we'll dig into the uh you know the bigger question of you know long-term viability of this team in this market and and what the plans of of a rod and uh, and mark laurie might be yeah so so saturday spoke to glenn taylor kind of after the after the news started breaking and 
And like you said, there have been other fits and starts before where he's seemed like he's been on track to sell the team, but it hasn't happened. Um, but this time when he's on the phone with you and he's talking about, you know, this gives him peace of mind and, and this and that and a succession plan moving forward. It sounds like this window of exclusive negotiation is it sounds like more formality than it is, a, a, you know, a, a test, I guess you could say. Um, so it certainly sounds as if all things are headed in that direction, that this is this is going to be uh, this is going to be the ownership group going forward. Uh, Mark Lurie and, and Alex Rodriguez. Um, so immediately, you know, when this happens, the, the question becomes, even for those that have wanted Glenn Taylor to sell the team all along, okay, is the team moving now or B, when is the team moving? How quickly will they be out of here? You know, the more pessimistic takes on it. Um, and the answer is, is complicated. Um, you know, Glenn Taylor has said all along, he doesn't want to sell to anybody that's going to move the team. Um, we haven't heard publicly from from Laurie or A-Rod to that effect, but Glenn Taylor says there is language in the contract that uh, will prevent a move from happening. Now, we now this leads to a rabbit hole of questions, um, and some of which I'm, I'm delving into in my piece for Friday morning's paper, such as, is the language in the contract enforceable? What can the NBA do about, about it? What kind of how, what's their attitude towards it? So that's kind of what I'm, I'll be getting into for Friday morning's paper. But I could also get into it on your daily delivery podcast if you'd like me to. Chris, I would like nothing more um, because that's, <laughs> that's really the big question. And, you you know, there's plenty that people are worried about, plenty that speculated about, you know, on, on Twitter, just fans talking. But, you know, as someone who's kind of covered this story since the sale, you know, since this team was put up for sale a year ago, what what do you know and what do you think are – Get, get, kind of give me some of the, the balance of, of where this could go and, you know, why you should be optimistic that the team is going to stay. And also, you know, what, what are some things that might concern you if you're a Wolves fan about the enforceability of keeping this team here? Right. So let's start with the enforceability of the language in the contract. That is complicated. Um, I spoke to people over the summer, kind of when this all happened, when Glenn was exploring selling the team. And a bunch of lawyers that I talked to that deal in sports law and things like that said, it's complicated. You can't make any provisions in a contract overly punitive or overly harsh or else the league might not approve them or B, they might not hold up in court because business owners have the right to move their business, generally speaking, if they see fit for the health of the business. Um, So you can't make any penalties overly harsh. The only penalty we're aware of for moving the team is the target center lease, which expires in 2035. And that carries a $50 million penalty with it, which is nothing to break. If you're, if you're talking about billions of dollars here. Um, So the the enforceability of the language is up for debate. However, Glenn Taylor spoke the other day on WCCL and was talking about how the NBA was never going to allow the Timberwolves to move out of Minnesota. His reason being that, it doesn't. It also doesn't make much sense for an ownership group to come in here, spend one and a half billion dollars to buy the Timberwolves, then, in his words, pay up to a two billion dollar relocation fee. Now, whether the, a relocation fee is that much money is going to be up, is up for debate. When Seattle moved to Oklahoma City, the relocation fee, from what I was able to see, was only thirty million dollars. Um, how much has changed in you know? 12, 13 years since that happened? I don't know. Um, So let's say 
that the NBA does set a very high price tag on a relocation out of Minnesota because the NBA wants Minnesota to stay here. So in essence, the NBA could say, you can move the team, but we're going to make it very difficult for you to move the team because we're going to set such a high price. That could potentially set off you know, a, a legal battle, a, a challenge about you know, the, the, the price being overly arbitrary, unfair, what have you. And that's kind of what I get into in, in Friday morning's piece. So again, it's, it's a bit of a, of a needle to thread. Um, but at the same time, you know, the Twin Cities is, the, I believe, the 14th biggest media market in the country. And I know that there's been a lot of losing here. And, and that's kind of the fans' point of view is, oh, they're, they're a perennial loser here. Move the team, fresh start, this and that. But the NBA is looking at it from we don't necessarily want to just abandon the 14th largest media market. And that, and that seems to be what Glenn Taylor is saying as well. And he's like, I'm on the committees. I know what's being discussed. And the NBA is not going to move the team from Minnesota. That's that's kind of the gist of where we're at. I think that there's is there legal language you can include to make it more difficult for them to move? Yes. But also, I think, you know, at least if you believe Glenn Taylor, uh, there are market forces in the NBA's desire and play to keep this team here long term. Do you think I mean, no, the terms of the sale are that, you know, Alex Rodriguez and you know Mark Laurie would would come in, you know, soon but wouldn't have controlling interest or you know wouldn't kind of run day-to-day operations that have input but wouldn't have like full control until 2023 how much of what happens with this franchise between now and then do you think has an impact on on where, on where this is going or do you think that stuff on the court or, or the trajectory of this franchise isn't necessarily the going to be the the overriding factor in, in whether or not they want to keep this team here or not that's a good question. It's one I've, I've thought a lot about over the last over the last five days here, and I, I I don't know just how much like making the playoffs next season or in two seasons is really going to impact a long term decision for decades to move a team. Uh, it, it seems a little short sighted if if what happens in the next two years here is ultimately what's going to decide their plan for the next 20 or 30 years. Um, that, that, I, I don't know what, what you feel about that, but I think just looking at it from my point of view, say you make it to the second round of the playoffs in two years, it's like, Oh, all of a sudden you've saved the team. I don't know that that's, I don't know that that's necessarily true, but I will say that if you get a winner here in Minnesota, you start filling up the arena on a regular basis. Maybe it, maybe it will have an impact. I don't know. Yeah. I think the, I think the second part you just hit on there, which, you know, kind of, goes hand in hand um, that the, a, a team that was more successful than it has been. And let's, let's face it, the, the team hasn't been successful by and large for the last 15 years. And attendance has, you know, a lot of times been in the bottom of the NBA, if not, you know, if not very last in the NBA. And so if you had a team that was improving on the court, and then you saw that improvement, you know, in target center attendance, uh, I think that would, Again, I think you're right. I don't think that's I don't think you're going to base everything on that, but if you could show a new ownership group what a, you know, 18,000 fans at Target Center look like compared to an average of 13 or 14,000, that's not a huge like economic bottom line, but it feels like it's a big, you know, it kind of feel it, it, there's a feel to it that makes you think, okay, I can see now how this market works for the NBA versus if it's if there's a certain level of apathy towards the product on the court. 
Yeah, I think I think that's well said, and, and I'm sure that the Wolves, you know, and they're going to look at numbers from a few years ago, the the when they did make the playoffs, and say, hey, look, look at the attendance, you know, during this season, it was it was great. Um, so I, I think you're right. Um, it's 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 a complicated question, and I spoke to a, a, a sports law expert, Eldon Ham, uh, for Friday's story, and and his thing his thing was, and I thought this was this was a, a salient point was. If you're the A-Rod group and you want to move the team and, you know, you might be running into an NBA that is resistant to move the team, wouldn't you kind of feel that out beforehand, before even making the offer to, to buy the team in the first place? Like, why, you know, why would you kind of want to give yourself that headache, especially when expansion teams might be coming on the market and you can maybe just buy uh, one of the expansion teams and pay that fee? Um, so, so, you know... There, there's there's it's a it's more complicated than I think the 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 fan take the the take of of oh, new ownership group say goodbye to the Timberwolves. Yeah, what's interesting too is that um, you know Adam Silver, the commissioner, has been far more open to the idea of expansion lately. I think he gave an interview a few months ago where he said it's I don't know if it was inevitable was the word, but there was some. Some word he yeah. used that made you think like, okay, this, if it's not even if it's not happening in one year or two years, that there's going to be ramped up discussions as you know as they maybe try to get a short term infusion of infusion of cash to make up for some of the losses they've incurred with you know fanless arenas during the pandemic because you know they're talking about upwards of two and a half million dollars, uh, two and a half billion dollars. Excuse me. Uh, Dr. Evil laugh, two and a half billion dollars, um, you know, to, to have an expansion fee. And the two most likely markets for expansion, you would think, are Seattle and Vegas. At least that's what they talk about. And obviously, those are the two biggest worries for Wolves fans for, as far as relocation goes. But you think expansion is going to come in a pair because it, it makes sense. It balances the schedule. It balances the conferences, things like that. You wouldn't just add one expansion team. You know, that doesn't preclude one of those two cities getting a relocated franchise, but it's the the path that seems to make the most sense. If you kind of read everything and, and read what you've reported is that Seattle and Vegas get expansion teams at a certain point here. And that if there's going to be talk of a relocation, it would have to be another market. And there's not one at least that immediately springs to mind, unless you're talking about like adding a third team to the New York market and like going to long Island and that new arena, something like that, something that's less obvious than Seattle or Vegas. That's the thing you have to look at. You just have to look at what is the, what is the landscape of, of the market for the NBA right now? And, and you know, it's, it's pointing more towards expansion and not relocation at the moment. Yep, absolutely. Well, that wasn't the only story of the week. The wolves, temporarily uh, postpone their game on Monday in the, in the wake of the police shooting of Dante Wright played that game on Tuesday, played again, Wednesday, both of those were afternoon games, no fans in attendance for those could tell. I mean, I, the Timberwolves are perfectly capable of losing to the nets and the bucks in particular by large margins, regardless of the circumstances, but you could tell that there was a certain energy that was not there for them. And I have to imagine that in some part that was because a lot of this is weighing heavily on them. I believe Josh Akogi had a lot of good things to say about that becoming a little bit of a, maybe spokesman is the wrong word, but being able to articulate a lot of what he and his teammates are feeling in this moment. What, what did you, what was the collective mood and sense that you got particularly after that Tuesday game? I just think there was a lot of anger, frustration, 
Um, you know, and like you said, Josh Akogi kind of kind of put it well. Um, and he's been out in front with with this issue, um, social injustice, systemic racism, police brutality, and using his platform on social media, talking in talking in interviews about it as well. You know, the, he said that this is this is sickening that this keeps happening. You know, especially twice within the span of a year in the same in the same area. Um, and you know, I, I think, I think there's a tough, there's a tough balance here just overall with this season that the NBA has had to trudge on in the era of COVID-19, um, in part because of some of these financial things we were talking about earlier, um, that there's this unrelenting, uh, march on of the schedule and that applied this week, I think, cause it's like, if you didn't play that game on Tuesday, when were you going to play it? And so even though guys might not have been in the mental state or desire to play. Um, they still played the game on Tuesday and nobody knew if it was the right decision or not to play the game on Tuesday, but I think everybody acknowledged that it had to be played. It's some, in some way, shape or form because, okay, you postponed Tuesday, but now you got another game on Wednesday and what are you going to do with that one? So um, just a lot of, just a lot of anger, a lot of frustration um, because this team, this team has been through a lot. Um, and, and probably more so than any NBA team has over the last year. Uh, when you think about the totality of the fact that George Floyd and, and Dante Wright uh, were killed here in Minneapolis, um, Towns and his mother, the fact that COVID touched this team very close to home. Um, it, it, this team has been through an, an, an emotional ringer over the last 14 months. And, you know, We'll see. We'll see how it, how how it goes moving forward here. But I, I think uh, I think their play over the last two games has really. I don't know how much of it is just pad play and Towns being out, and how much of it is they're just emotionally exhausted right now. Uh, it's hard to tell. It's probably some of both. I mean, you didn't even mention. You know, we talked about the sale of the team. That's a major change. There was a coaching change earlier this season. You know, on court stuff. Mm-hmm. Guys injured in and out of the lineup. It's just been a season of turmoil. Any way you look at it, there's a season of constant adjustment and having to you know work through things. You know, both you know basketball wise and just heavier off court things as well. And you, you talked about Towns. He was going to miss that game Monday, no matter what. Uh, he was going to take. It was per, it was listed on the injury report, personal reasons. That was, you know, coming up on the one year anniversary of his mother passing away due to COVID. I believe the anniversary ended up being on Tuesday. He mm-hmm. missed that Tuesday game. Also missed the Wednesday game for personal reasons. Um, so a lot that he is dealing with as well on the court. You know, again, we we always issue the caveat that that is not even close to the most important thing. Um, I think you're right. It's probably a combination of a lot of things, but even, even before, you know, what happened with the Dante Wright situation with, with the postponement of that game, even before that, from a purely basketball standpoint, we were seeing a real marker of, you know, with towns back from, you know, from, from both, you know, the, the injury earlier this season and then him having COVID himself, there's a huge difference in this team when he's on the court versus when he's off the court. And, you know, they're probably learning a little bit more of that in these last two games as well, when they didn't have him on the court um, for, for 48 minutes, as opposed to, you know, 12 minutes or four minutes in some cases. Um, Mm -hmm. What, uh, you know, from, from a purely basketball standpoint, what do you, is is that going to be 
a little bit concerning to them just how much they are leaning on him, even as D'Angelo Russell has returned, even as Anthony Edwards has taken a step forward on the court. Yeah, I think it goes to show you that there's still a lot of work that needs to be done with the roster uh, if this team is going to compete in this in these next few years here that you can't you can't look like they've looked this year without Carl Anthony Towns on the floor um, and expect to be a winning team. So there's got to be some sort of remolding of the roster. You have to be able to have people that can win you some games when he's not available. Um, I don't know what that looks like, but I think that those are discussions that they that they need to have um, because right now it, it just whenever he's not on the floor, it's just ugly. Whether we're talking about earlier this season, whether we're talking about this week, um, not much has changed when he's absent. So, and I think with with Chris Finch now, every everything runs through Towns when he's on the floor, and rightfully so because defenses have to pay the most attention to him. Uh, and it creates obviously offense for everybody else. Um, so even more so now with Chris Finch, maybe before with Ryan Saunders, you have you have these issues with Towns going out because so much of the offense is oriented around getting getting Carl the ball. Last thing for you, I don't think we've talked about so much about the return of D'Angelo Russell. Maybe we saw one game before we before we before the last time we talked. Um, you know what what do we? He's had, he had, you know, up until um, the, the, the Tuesday game, he had done a lot of really good things up until the Wednesday game, I should say. Even Tuesday, I think he was okay, um, you know, doing a lot of good things, especially with Towns. He's been scoring a bunch. Do we know kind of big picture? Are the, are the minutes restrictions going to come off? Have they talked at all about when he might come back to the starting lineup or what that looks like as he starts to kind of potentially ramp up for the rest of the season? Yeah, eventually here, I think it's tough to, to give a specific time frame on that. Um, but I thought, yeah, like you said, I thought he's looked really good. Um, and the shot came back almost immediately. Like he didn't have any rust on his shot at all. Um, and late game situations, I think, I think that's been the most encouraging thing over the last month was just how he, or the last week, just how he and Towns played off each other down the stretch of some close games, whether they won or lost. Um, you know, they operated very effectively. Uh, both of them got open shots in those, in, in those situations, both of them hit those open shots in those situations. So I think you can definitely envision, um, you know, we've been waiting to see this for, for a long time, just how these two are going to play together. And I think you've caught a glimpse of, of what could happen, especially down the stretch when, when kind of the game simplifies a little bit. It's more simple pick and roll action and things like that. Um, they seem to be very effective at, at operating off each other in that respect. Good stuff, Chris. Catch a little bit of rest. The season is about a month left. You're going to get there. Yes. Wolves are going to get there. Everybody could probably use a break. Um, and then uh, we'll, we'll go from there. So appreciate it. And we'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. Good talking to Chris Hine as usual. Um, you know, I, I thought it was interesting when we got into how important it is for the team to play well in the short term as, a, as far as what that means for the franchise's future. Hard to say, really, but can't hurt, right, to, to play better, to, to fill the stands, to show Alex Rodriguez and Mark Laurie that this, what this market can look like when basketball matters. Because, you know, if you, it's a long time ago, but if you go back to 2004 when things were really, really cooking, that 2003-2004 that season, that this when this team wins and it, again it's not often but when this team is a true contender 
man, people show up. People love a winner in this market. One thing that will certainly help in the short term, the short, short, short term, looks like Carl Anthony Towns will be back for Friday's game against the Heat, not on the injury report. So we'll see if uh, how Carl can fare against Jimmy Butler, his old pal now in Miami. Let's end quick with the cooler. Parker Fox, a guy I've talked about on this show, loving the transfer portal, loving the idea of the Gophers potentially adding Parker Fox. Well, guess what? They got him. Parker Fox agreeing to sign with the Gophers. Uh, he's originally from Matamita. He played, you know, starred at Northern State, didn't have a whole lot of other offers coming out of high school, but, you know, has become this dunking machine, um, you know, just averaged 23 points. Nine rebounds last year, 3.5 blocks a game, national best. So seems like a guy who has the energy and the ability to help right away. And, you know, again, the portal takes away. The portal gives going to be a completely new roster for this team next season. It's going to be interesting to see how that all comes together for new head coach Ben Johnson. But Parker Fox should be a big piece of it, along with some of these other guys they've already brought in. That'll do it for this week. Tons of good stuff coming up on Monday and beyond next week. Thank you for listening to Daily Delivery. Really do appreciate it. If you get a chance to write a review or leave a rating, please do so. Always subscribe to Star Tribune and StarTribune.com, and we will catch you again on Monday.